And I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to jump in at verse 13. And the, this passage that we're going to study this morning includes one of the most well-known... You notice I'm having trouble speaking this morning? It's going to double the length of the message. I just wanted to know that. It includes one of the most well-known miracles of Jesus. And that is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, in fact, this is only one of two miracles that is included in all four gospel accounts. Now you understand that there are four biographies of Jesus in, in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the authors. Each wrote a biography of Jesus. Same story, just told uh, from their perspective as they saw it. And this is the only one of two miracles that is included in all four accounts. The other one being, anyone want to guess? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And so, for what you, you get a gold star. So, for whatever reason, as these four gospel writers wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they each decided to include this story of the feeding of the 5,000. And as we begin to read it in verse 13, you're going to see that it begins with the words, When Jesus heard what happened. This is referring to what happened in the passage immediately preceding this. This is referring to the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not only uh, a friend of Jesus, he was his cousin. And he was the man that God had chosen to, to announce the coming of Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was a prophet, and like a lot of prophets, he met with a violent end as King Herod had him beheaded at his birthday party. What a way to celebrate your birthday, by having someone beheaded. But that's exactly what King Herod did. And so we jump into verse 13, and we read this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. Father, as we open your word this morning, as we... Look at this incredible story of the power of Jesus, Lord. We pray that you would open our eyes to the message of this story for a bunch of people living in 21st century America. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've all faced it. You're driving along, you come to a red light at an intersection, you stop and there on the side of the road is someone with a sign saying they're hungry and they need food or money. Or maybe you're, you're sitting at home. It's in the evening, you're relaxing on the couch, reading a book, or you've got your feet up in the recliner, you're watching some television, the phone rings, and on the other end is somebody asking you to give financially to a very worthy cause. Or you come to church, as we did several weeks ago, 
and you're asked to sponsor a child in need somewhere in the world. We've all faced it before. Everywhere we turn, it seems there are people in need, people asking for help of one kind or another. And besides the people that we see around us asking for help, we, we know of people who are in need. It may be physical or financial or emotional people who aren't actually asking for help, but we're aware of their need. Even in a, a church our size, we're aware of a number of needs that exist among our congregation. And it's easy when we, when we get asked all the time, when there are always people around us asking for us to help, it's easy for us to get jaded and even cynical. And here's the thing. The more generous you are, the more you actually have to give, the more you're going to get hit up. If you don't think so, go to a developing country as an American, an impoverished nation, and, 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 and see how many little kids will run up to you asking for you to give them something. You see, if they know that you have something to offer, something to provide, people in need are going to seek you out. And Jesus certainly found that to be true. Why do you think this crowd showed up? Because they knew what he could do for them. And true to form, he did. He met their needs. Now, you, might, you and I might look at this account and we might say, well, yeah, that's Jesus. I can't do what Jesus did. I mean, that's why they call them miracles. I can't do that. And we might walk away from this passage learning something about Jesus, which is very significant to see what Jesus did here, what it says about who he really is. But we might walk away from this passage learning something about Jesus, but totally missing how this impacts the way we live in relationship with those around us. But what I want to tell you this morning is that there is a lesson for us here as well. As we watch Jesus and his disciples interact with this needy crowd of people. This morning we're continuing our series entitled The Jesus Factor. And throughout this series, what we've done is we've looked at how Jesus interacts with different groups of people that he encounters throughout his earthly ministry. And, and he reacts to them differently. For example, we saw how Jesus uh, uh, worked with those who used God, how he interacted with those who used God. These are the self-righteous Pharisees. These are people who use religion to make themselves look better. They're not really godly people, but they look like they're godly people because they keep an impressive list of rules. And what we learned, and we saw that Jesus had some really harsh words for these people, and we learned that we cannot tolerate self-righteousness in the church. And that begins with us. And then we looked at how Jesus interacted with those who are far from God. These are sinners who live like sinners, not even trying to put on you know, kind of an appearance of holiness. And what we saw is that Jesus loved these people and He hung out with them and He spent time with them. And we need to do the same because we are sinners saved by grace. And then we looked at how Jesus interacted with those who misunderstand God. These were the Samaritans. You remember the Samaritans? People who were very close to the Jews. They were neighbors. They lived there right among them. But who were very far away in a cultural and religious sense. They were close geographically, but, but there was this gap, this cultural gap between them. And even though they were a religious people, it was a false religion. And we learned that we need to seek out the Samaritans in our own life. People who are not like us in a religious or cultural way. We need to seek them out with the truth of the gospel. This morning, we're going to see how Jesus interacts with those who need God. The suffering. 
how Jesus interacts with those who need God. Now, we all need God, so I'm using this term in a more narrow sense. Those who have a particular need in their lives. And as we walk through this passage, we're going to see that by his actions, Jesus answers three questions for us that we need to have answered in our own hearts, and our own minds, if we're going to understand how we should interact and deal with people in need. And here's the first question. It's very simple. Who should we help? Who should we help? And here's the answer. Anyone in need. Very simple. Who should we help? Anyone in need. Now, now by that, I don't mean that, that we are obligated to help and meet every need of every person. We are not called to do that, nor is that very practical. Uh, we need to use wisdom. We need to use discernment. But with that understanding, don't miss the fact that Jesus is all about meeting needs. If you kind of back up and, and you look at this story at kind of a bird's eye view, kind of one of the, the initial observations that you're going to make, that you're going to walk away with, is that Jesus is all about meeting needs. I mean, after all, he came to this earth to meet our deepest spiritual need. But he's also interested in meeting our daily needs. Remember when he taught his disciples to pray? What did he teach them to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He taught us to pray for our daily needs to be met. One of the reasons that this, this, the crowd starts showing up wherever he goes is that they know that he will meet their needs. A couple of chapters earlier, Matthew chapter 9, don't turn there because I've got it in your notes there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 39 says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and look, healing every disease and sickness. Jesus attracted needy people because they knew he would meet their needs. He had a heart for those in need. And that's the attitude that we should have. We should have a heart for those in need. There's a reason that, that, that historically people seek out Christians, that people seek out churches when they're in need. It's what Jesus modeled for us. In his book entitled, God So Loved, He Gave, Justin L. Borger tells a story about a homeless woman that was living under a bridge in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Her name was Tammy. And after providing Tammy with some basic hygiene supplies, he didn't hear from her for a few weeks until he got a phone call and she called and said that she had been assaulted. And after Borger brought her to the hospital, Tammy started attending his church. And the church also started providing vouchers so that she could buy food and other items. But Borger said that that created a problem. Tammy kept giving the vouchers to other people. Borger told her, Tammy, you, you need to keep this for yourself, otherwise you'll run out of food. But living under a bridge meant that she was living around a lot of other needy people, and it was unthinkable to her to receive a gift and not share it with others. So with an incredulous stare, she asked him, why can't I give some too? And then Borger writes this, I, saw, I found myself taken aback. Why shouldn't Tammy be allowed to give some of what she received? Wasn't that exactly what I was doing? I paused for a moment. But then I gave her a very pragmatic answer. We're giving this to you, not everyone else you meet. Yet I re realized the deeper problem. 
To only receive and never give back is to be belittled, to be humiliated. Over time, I had begun to think of Tammy as a kind of pet project in which I was always the giver and she was always the recipient. But the good news is that God not only made us to be recipients of His grace, but also participants in the movement of His own generosity. Tammy had the right idea. There were people in need, and so she sought to meet that need. That's what Jesus did. There were people in need, and so He sought to meet their needs, and that's what we should do as well. Here's the second question. Why should we help those in need? Who should we help? We've answered that, but why should we help those in need? And the answer is because it is an expression of godly compassion. It is an expression of godly compassion. Think about this. Jesus helped everyone who came to him that day. Regardless of their status, their situation, their worthiness, their faith, or their ability to help him and his disciples at some point in the future. Jesus met them right where they were. Now we might think, oh, well, wait a minute, but this was a, cl- a crowd of, of people who, who, who were followers of Christ. These people were dedicated, devoted followers of Christ. That's why he helped them. No, no, that's not the case. And we know that's not the case because of what the Apostle John writes. Remember I said all four Gospel writers include this story. John includes it in John chapter 6. But he gives us a few more details. Right after telling the story of the feeding of the 5,000, John goes on to tell the story of how Jesus walked across on the water. Remember, he walks across the Sea of Galilee on the water. Matthew also includes that story. But then, right after Jesus walks across the Sea of Galilee, John adds this. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now look at Jesus' answer. This is the crowd he just fed. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then a few verses later in John chapter 6, it says this, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So you get the picture? Jesus is confronted with this huge crowd of needy people and he meets their needs knowing that many of them were only there for the food and that they would in very short order turn away from him. What a picture of grace that is for us. All right? What an example. Matthew tells us in chapter 14 when Jesus saw this huge crowd that he had compassion on them knowing what he knew about them. That some of them would, would, would not, you know, they, they weren't interested in the, the fact that he performed a miraculous sign, the, what that said about who he was, about having a relationship with him. They weren't interested in that. They were interested in the food. And when things got tough, they turned away from him. Knowing that, Jesus still had compassion on them. Listen, that's a word of encouragement for you and I. Because when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you confessed the fact that you were a sinner before Him, He saved you. He made you a part of His eternal family knowing that you would fail Him in the future in some way. Knowing who this crowd was, He healed their sick and He fed them. 
Now here's where this impacts us. Listen. It's easy for us to justify a lack of compassion based on who we think is worthy to receive our generosity. You understand what I'm saying? We need to be wise. We need to use some discernment. Yes. But don't use good stewardship as an excuse for a lack of grace and generosity in your life. You know, I've got to be a good steward of the money God gave me. True. But don't use that as an excuse. That doesn't mean you have to give to everyone who asks you on the street. But it does mean that generosity ought to be the rule in your life instead of the exception. Listen, use a trusted organization if you need to in order to ensure that that what you give actually helps those in need. And there's a lot of good organizations. Compassion International is one of them. You want to help the folks in Oklahoma? There's a lot of need there. Listen, you talk about an area of need. There's a lot of need there. You can help them. You can go to the North American Mission Board, namb.net. Write that down, namb.net. You can go there on their front page is a place for you to donate. This is an organization of the Southern Baptist Convention. It is a trusted, reputable organization, and they will get help to people in need. The Southern Baptists have an excellent disaster relief uh, program in North America, and you can help through organizations like that. But here's the point. However you do it, Allow the Spirit of Christ in you to express His compassion through you. Allow the Spirit of Christ in you to express His compassion through you. Let me say one more thing before we move on to the next question. There are times in your life when being compassionate is especially hard to do. According to verse 13, Jesus was trying to get off by Himself. He was trying to get away from people. Why? Well, he had just learned that his cousin, his friend, John the Baptist, had been killed. Verse 13 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Do you think Jesus felt like being compassionate at that moment? From a human point of view, we know he's fully God, but we know he's fully human with a full range of human emotions. Do you think he felt Like being compassionate at that moment. I'm guessing that he was emotionally drained. And yet here's this multitude of needy people descending on him. And he gets up and he goes to them. And he meets their needs. There will be times when you are out of gas emotionally. And God's going to give you an opportunity to minister to somebody in need. And inside you're going to be saying, but what about my needs? Very human reaction, very human emotion. And that's where compassion goes from being just a human endeavor to really a godly expression of love. Here's the third question. How should we help those in need? How? The answer, use whatever you have, trusting that God will bless it. Use whatever you have, trusting that God will bless it. Any of you ever heard of Tony Campolo? He's kind of an older Christian writer. Some of you may not be afraid. If you don't know Tony Campolo, he's a Christian writer, and he's kind of a character. He's one of those, those very interesting people. He was scheduled to speak to a group of women at a World Day of Prayer event, and he forgot about it. He was reminded of it at the last moment. So he rushes over to the meeting. It's held in a large, wealthy church, He arrived exhausted, not knowing what to say to this gathering of women. He hadn't prepared. And before calling him to speak, the leader of the meeting produces a letter from a missionary in Venezuela. 
And, and Kampala tells the story. He says, she read this letter from this missionary who had a hospital and they needed $5,000 desperately to put an extension on the hospital because they couldn't handle all the patients. She turned to me and said, Reverend, would you please lead us in prayer that the Lord would provide for our sister in Venezuela? And I said, no. She was taken back by that. I stood up and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. And it was a good day to pull it off because I was only carrying $2.25. So I pulled out my wallet and I put out $2 and a quarter and I slapped it down on the pulpit and I said, this is all the money I'm carrying. Madam Chairman, I want you to put all the cash you're carrying on the pulpit. And there were about a thousand women in this group. And I said, I'm going to ask each one of you to come up here and to do the same. No checks, just cash. Bring it up, lay it on the altar. We'll count the money. And if we don't come up with enough, then I'll pray for God to provide the rest. Well, the woman took out $110 of an unadulterated cash and put it with my $2.25. $110 in cash. And he says, why didn't I marry somebody like that? I said, well, we're on our way. We've got $112.25. I said, you're next. And I pointed to the woman in the front row and she looked at me and I said, I'm serious. Come on up here and put your money on the altar. You see, I come from a black church and you know that that's the way we take up an offering. And she sheepishly came up and she put her money on it. And I said, okay, let's line up. Do it one by one. And they did. Money kept piling up and piling up, piling up. When it was over, we counted the cash. We had $7,000 instead of the 5000 that was required. And I know we didn't get it all because I could see women giving me dirty looks as they walked by. <laughs> and I said, the sheer audacity of asking God for $5,000 when he already provided more than $7,000. Now that's a little bit extreme. We're not going to do that this morning. Okay, it's all right. But it does illustrate my point. Just as God gave those ladies different amounts of cash for them then to give to this offering. God has blessed us in different ways. He's not only given us different amounts of money, but he's given us different ways in which he could help. He's given some of us money. He's given some of us time. Some of you perhaps are at a stage in your life where you have more time than you used to. He's given some of us skills and talents. Whatever it is that God has blessed you with, you can use that to bless others. And it doesn't matter how much or how little it really is. Somebody gave, God gave somebody five loaves of bread and two fish in that crowd that day. That doesn't look like much, right? Based on the need that was there, that doesn't look like much, but God used it to feed 5,000 people. I used to have a pastor who would say, little is much when God is in it. And that's true. Offer whatever it is you have. And trust that God will use it to bless others. Listen, God didn't call you to meet every need in the world. You can't do that. I can't do that. He did call you to use whatever it is He's given you and trust Him to meet those needs. Matthew Woodley is a pastor. And he tells a story in an article that he wrote in Leadership Magazine, which is a magazine for, for pastors. He says this, Two years ago, I nearly ditched the pastorate. I started focusing on the negatives of my job, the Saturday night sermon anxiety attacks, a pitiful raise, the disintegrating basement tiles in the parsonage. After eight years of frantically meeting needs, pleasing people, and tracking down plant stands for weddings, I could identify only trace elements of spiritual growth in my congregation. A dangerous 
ice slowly spread through my heart, the ice of cynicism, the ice of pastoral sloth, an attitude that didn't care if people changed because, of course, they didn't want to anyway. God didn't answer my prayer for escape. Instead, God resurrected the call to ministry during our family vacation in Libby, Montana. While I was reading and praying at an elementary school park, three children with bagged lunches, dirty faces, and dirt street, uh, dirty clothes and dirt street faces plopped down on the grass beside me. Before I could object or move, the oldest child launched into a complicated story of family dysfunction. Hi, my name is Deanna, and I'm 12. My sister is Christy, and she's 10. And Mikey, my brother, doesn't he look fat in his Lion King t-shirt, is 6. Actually, though, we're all, we all have different dads. My dad is dead. Christy's dad disappeared, and Mikey's dad beats him, so our mom is divorcing the creep. My mom and her fiancé, Larry, are at the casino because they need time alone. So they bought us all a barbecue burrito at the town pump and told us to stay in the park for two hours. Can we sit by you? In order to be polite, I said yes, and then asked if they lived in town. No, Deanna, the family spokesman, answered again. We used to live in town, but my mom lost her job. I don't like living in a tent. By the way, what's your job? Well, I'm a pastor. After a long silence, she asked, Mr. Pastor, can I ask you something? I've heard stories about Jesus walking around healing people, loving people. Why doesn't he do that anymore? I launched into a lecture on the incarnation. Three children simply stared at me with big, love-hungry eyes. I looked at Deanna and Christy with their limp burritos and fat little abused Mikey with barbecue sauce smeared on his Lion King t-shirt. I stopped lecturing. With tears welling up in my eyes, I said, Deanna, Christy, Mikey, let me start over. Do you have any idea how much Jesus loves you right now? From a broken sky, traced out by the city lights, lowered from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight. Touch down on the cold black top, hold on for a sudden stop, breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos. And all those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. River with me that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the broken hearted. Ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Yeah. 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 Step out on the busy street See a girl and our eyes meet Does her best to smile at me To hide what's underneath There's a man just to her right Black suit and a bright red tie Too ashamed to tell his wife He's out of work, he's buying time And all those people going somewhere 
why hands I never cared. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Give me the feel that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the broken hearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see. Everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the broken hearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know how God has blessed you. Maybe He's given you money. Maybe He's given you time. Maybe He's given you skills and talents that you can help those in need. I don't know. But I do know that every one of us can share with those in need the love of Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to heal the sick and to feed the hungry. He did do that. He cares about that. But He didn't just come to do that. Think about it for a moment. Every one of those people that got filled up with that food got hungry again. Every one of those that were healed, that were sick, eventually died. He met those needs. But He went on to do something even better than that. He died on the cross to provide for the greatest need of all, eternal life. And love, that love, is something that every one of us can share with those in need. But you know, it's only something that we can share if it's something that we've received. The Bible tells us that God loved us so much that He gave. He didn't just give to meet our physical needs, but He gave Jesus Christ, His one and only Son, to die on the cross so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, if you're sick, I pray that God brings healing into your life, but the truth is that every one of us will die someday. And the ultimate healing is when we pass from this life into an eternity in the presence of God, and that only happens through Jesus Christ. And just like He met that that needy crowd and He met their needs, He's here this morning to meet your needs. And to meet your greatest need. And that is the need for eternal life. We're going to stand in a moment and we're going to sing a song of invitation. And when we do, I'm going to invite you to perhaps take that opportunity. If you're at that place in your life where you're ready to cross that line of faith and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you recognize that you do have a need that only Jesus can meet. You can come on down and you can tell me that and we'll talk and I'll show you from God's Word how you can receive what He's offering you today. Or maybe after the service. I'm always here. You can catch me after the service and say, Pastor, can we, can we talk for a minute? I want to talk to you about that. I need to ask some questions. That's something I'm ready to do. Or maybe you need to, to fill out that communication form, put your name and phone number, check the boxes. I want somebody to call me and, and to talk to me about what it means to be a Christian. 
and I'll call you this week and we'll talk about it. Or you can call me or you can send me an email. Whatever it is, if God is moving in your heart today, if you recognize right now that you have a need that only He can meet, the forgiveness of your sins, then let me know so that I can help walk you through those steps of faith. Maybe this morning you've already done that and, and, and God's working in your heart to, to turn your, your focus outward on those around us, those around you who are in need. And, and, and having that, that attitude, that heart of compassion for those in need. And thinking seriously through how can that be a reality? How can I do that well? How can I meet the needs of others? And then finally, maybe you're here this morning and you're at a place in your life where you've got a huge need that you're dealing with. And you need to offer that up to God. And you say, you just need to say, God, I have a need. Not, not pushing off your responsibility to meet the needs of others, but right now you've got something acute, something in your life right now. And you just need God to meet that need. And you need to pray to Him. You know, and, and I make no guarantees about how God will answer your prayers. Sometimes He says yes, sometimes He says no. But He always does what's right and He always does what good, what's good. And He always meets us at the point of our needs. And this morning, maybe you just need to spend time with God saying, here's the need I have, Lord. Help me with this need and help me to meet the needs of others as well. I don't know how, how you might need to respond during this time of invitation, but I'm going to ask that we all stand together as we sing our song of invitation after I lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are a God who meets our needs, that you have prayed us, you have taught us to pray. Give us our daily bread. Today, Father, meet our needs. Lord, and then help us to meet the needs of other people. Lord, Jesus doesn't walk on this earth anymore. But we do in His name. We are His body. We are His voice and His hands and His feet. Help us to act like it. And then, Father, I pray for anybody here today who's never come to the Lord Jesus in a posture of repentance and faith accepting Him as their Savior for eternal life. Lord, if there's anyone here today who needs to make that decision, Lord, draw them to the Savior, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.